And welcome to episode number 33 of The Kickabout with me, Chris. And as always, Dan and Fran are with us. Hi. Uh, so, yeah, no show last week because Baby finally made an appearance and Baby is currently in my arms waiting for, for Mummy for feed. So I do apologise if you hear a little bit of whinging and, and moaning. Um, but hopefully it won't be for very long. But these are, the, these are the lockdown times we live in where we can't really do anything or go anywhere else. So not a great deal of choice, but hopefully everything will be okay. So um what's happened guys so let's have a quick chat about england i didn't actually put it in the running order i was meant to uh let's just have a very quick chat about england um dan what did you think of the three games just summarize your feelings on the three games uh who played well who impressed you who didn't that sort of thing um well i mean three wins out of three isn't really bad so i can't be negative at all about that weren't the best games though were they? no i just the problem i find with england i just feel like it's quite negative it's very side to side but it's stupid, um, though, because we have so, such good players. Well, we have probably one of the best attacking sort of nationalities, I reckon, with the, t- with the players we've got. I'd just like us to... Gonna... I'd like to see us sort of attack more. I feel like we're too Timid. patient. Yeah, I just... I, I think I messaged you this, Dan. I get the feeling that, um, you know, we've had various teams within the last 20 years where, the, you know, the fans and the media have maybe overhyped us a little bit and suggested that um, we, you know, we have to win something with this generation. We can't waste the talent that's in front of us. Um, and I just got this horrible feeling that with all the talent that we've got in this side, which we're going to come up short again um, in it. So are we just lacking talent against the real big boys or is it mismanagement? Is it, is it tactics? You know, what, what do you think it is that's stopping us from taking that step to being a, a real top side on the international stage? Well, I mean, the manager was a centre-back, wasn't he? So that probably doesn't help. Because I think every manager sort of has their own philosophies. And I just feel like we we play very defensive. He concentrates on the defence a lot, which is great. But in my opinion, we, you know, we come against, like, against Poland. I feel like Poland, without Lewandowski, Poland weren't really anything. And they very nearly got a result out of us. I mean, they conceded three against Hungary, even with Lewandowski. So I wouldn't have said that, you know, we should have drastically altered anything anyway. You know, you know, at the end of the day, we are supposedly one of the best sides in the world. Um, we've got, as you say, we've got an amazing array of attacking talent. We should be taking the teams to us. We should be forcing other teams to change their tactics um, to play against us. Now, that will happen, obviously, when you're playing the lower teams, people like San Marino and, and Albania. Um, but when you're... <laughs> when you're um, facing people like Poland and the bigger teams, you kind of want them to be fearing of us, not the other way around. Yeah, and if if we sort of do go through our group, we end up with the so-called group of death in the next in the knockout stage, which is the, either France, Portugal, or Germany. And I just can't see us beating any of those three. Well, with with the Euros, you're always going to face a big team, aren't you? Quickly, so it's going to happen one way or the other, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'd, yeah, I don't want to be all negative. I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to the Euros, mainly just because we've been in lockdown for so long and I just want to go out and watch the football, but I'm, I'm not as conf- I'm not that confident. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see on that. Uh, right, let's, uh, let's get into the meat of the podcast then. And as always, we'll start with this. Down the stack, man! So I've actually got two questions today. It's sort of one question rolled, well, two questions rolled into one, one into two. 
Um, the first one is only one other player has scored more Premier League own goals than Phil Jagielka. Can you tell me who it is? And the second question is also about Jagielka. He is the second oldest outfield player to score an own goal in the competition. But can you tell me who the oldest player is? <laughs> okay. Doubling down on Phil Jackie. It's not been a good weekend for Phil Jackie, Elka, is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, as always, we will uh, get the answer to that towards the end of the show. Um, let's get into the show. So we decided this week to go with... Um, there was some fairly significant um, action near the bottom end of the table, so we decided this week to focus on that. So we'll start with the Newcastle Spurs game. And it was a well-deserved point for Newcastle in what was a, a totally different Newcastle side to, to that that we saw against Brighton just before the international break I and mean, it was such a limp awful performance for Newcastle so for them to turn up you know th there are just some signs of fight and life in this team aren't there yeah they're sort of scraping through it aren't they um where are they now in the table they're, they're still just one place above relegation I think if Fulham had won they would have knocked Absolutely. Newcastle into the relegation zone but they they couldn't do it against Villa so they got quite lucky yeah, so there's currently uh, currently three points between Newcastle and Fulham, and Fulham have played a game extra, but Newcastle's game in hand is against Liverpool. So uh, we, Liverpool obviously had a, a much improved performance the weekend and looked a lot better against Arsenal. So uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen with that? But yeah, it's. I just wondered, do you think this is a flash in the pan for Newcastle? This performance just is this just um, you know a bit like they did against Everton not that long ago, where they put in a really good performance? Do we think that they're just going to revert to type in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think that's been the problem with Newcastle. They've just been really inconsistent because they do have the quality to sort of get these results. They're just they're just so inconsistent, and obviously they've been missing key players like Callum Wilson. So I mean, I think he's is he back or he's coming back for the next game? Yeah, I believe he's back in training now. Um, from what I understand, and obviously the other big positive from this game was that Saint Maximan made his playing return. He came off the bench at the weekend as well. So. We, you know, everybody knows those two players along with Almiron. Uh, those three are vital to Newcastle's chances, so they cannot afford to have any of those guys injured between now and the end of the season. Um, but one guy who, you know, would be great news for Newcastle fans that Joe Linton, he's in such a rich vein of form now with his second goal in 24 games this season. Um, <laughs> And, you know, if you look at his record, it's quite astonishing, actually, because he's got two goals from six shots against Tottenham, right, in the Premier League. That's a 33% conversion rate. And if you then combine every other Premier League team that he's played against, he's had 77 shots and scored two goals, a 2.6 shot conversion rate. So if, if uh, Newcastle could just play Spurs every week, they'd be laughing. Joe Linton would be the top scorer. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not bad stats for a centre-back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, <laughs> talk, talking of the game, Spurs were they were very much a victim of their own uh, downfall. Um, they should have conceded actually quite early on when they allowed Dwight Gale to, to force two good saves out of Hugo Lloris. He probably should have scored uh, on both of those attempts, really. Um, and then they got caught out playing from the back. And now <laughs> this is going to this is going to sound a little bit controversial. Um, and fans probably going to hate me for saying this, but do you think that Spurs have the quality, ball playing quality players at the back to play out from the back in the way that they're trying to? Um, well, the problem is I think their defence is getting on a bit, isn't it? With the likes of sort of Alderweireld and that, I think they do need to bring in a, a centre back um, in the summer. And I don't think, I'm, I'm a bit confused with their signing of Doherty, to be honest. I just yeah, he's not really done a lot, has he? No, I don't know if they 
knew the type of player he was because Josie obviously likes to play like a flat back four and Doherty just isn't that at all. He's almost a winger. Yeah. And if you look at the, the back line, I mean, it was Tanganga, Sanchez, Rodon and uh, Regulon at the back for Spurs. Now, Regulon, I do rate, I think he's a fantastic left back. But for, on a ball playing perspective, I'm not convinced on Sanchez. Um, I've not seen enough of Tanganga to be certain on him and, and the same for Rodon. But um, the way they were playing the ball around, it, it was it was almost like watching Arsenal do. Do you remember Arsenal earlier in the season where they kept getting caught out doing that? But like David Luiz and Gabriel kept doing that. Um, it it just felt like the same to me, like they were just overplaying it because they were sort of like, they were, they were being drilled on the training ground where we must play out from the back. We have to, you know, be this ball playing team and we must build from the back. And sometimes you think, you know what, if it's not on, just fucking lump it. I think that's modern football, isn't it? You see almost every team trying to play it out from the back and even goalkeepers nowadays, almost every goalkeeper is trying to play with their feet. And I've only seen Edison really that's actually been confident enough to do it. You see all the other goals, even the likes of Allison, it just doesn't look comfortable at all with the ball at his feet. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's I think Pickford and Edison are probably the two better ones. I mean, Pickford's still got a mistake in him, don't get me wrong, but generally speaking, with the ball at his feet, he's reasonable. Um but uh, no, I know what you say. But I mean, if, from Newcastle's point of view, you know, <laughs> what you must do when you get your nose in front, once once Jolinson gets that goal, which was, you know, it was well taken in the end, but it was a bit of a gift. Um, what you must do when you started playing so well, you've got yourself in front. What you can't do is give away a goal straight away. And Newcastle gave one away within about 90 seconds. It was a fairly scrappy goal with a poor clearance. And and then they conceded a second about five minutes later with a, actually what was a very good goal from Harry Kane, the second one. Um, and at that point, you're just thinking, Look, Steve Bruce must be tearing what little Harry has left out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, especially, you know, getting a goal against... Spurs and going one nil up, um, obviously unlikely. And then to go and lose it straight away, you probably thought that was game done. Yeah, but credit where credit's due, they did keep fighting, and they definitely, you know, they deserved a point. I mean, you were, you could make a case for us saying that they actually deserved all three out of this game. I did think they played very, very well. Um, nice little touch that it was uh, an Arsenal loanee that got the uh, equaliser in Joe Willock. But when you look at Newcastle's running between now and the end of the season, it, I mean, we we talked about this before. It really does not make for good reading, and, and we'll, we'll look at each individual team uh, in and around the bottom uh, three or four and look at their runnings. But Newcastle's is is by far the worst. So let's go through this here. So Burnley away. Do you see them getting much out of that? I mean, that's a huge, huge game. Um, yeah, Burnley just lost to Southampton um, after going 2 0 up. So I mean, they could get points out of that game. It's all. Well, it's it's a hundred percent. They have to target a win there um, because then you look at the runner games after. It's West Ham at home. I mean, we've just lost Declan Rice for for a, a month, maybe more, which is obviously a big blow to us. But we do have a lot of quality and we're and we're playing very well. So that you know that's going to be a very tough game for Newcastle. Uh, Liverpool away again. Don't really know with Liverpool, but you would expect you know Jota's back and amongst the goals is just signs of recovery from them. Arsenal at home, what do you think? Uh, unlikely, but at the same time, you know, it's a bit like this Spurs game. Um, Arsenal yeah. are very consistent as well. Yeah, Leicester at the weekend, uh, Leicester away is after that. Um, then Man City at home. So you look at those games, I mean, there's five games in a row there where yeah, you're looking at that and thinking, well, if you can pick up uh, a surprise win or a surprise point here or there, then 
you know, that would be priceless. But then the last two, Sheffield United at home and Fulham away. So you've got Burnley, Sheffield United and Fulham to play. Um, in theory, if they were to win all three of those, you would say that's enough. Um, yeah. City should have won the Premier League by then. So potentially be resting players for the Champions League and the FA Cup. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, Sheffield United are going to be long gone by that point, you would think. Um, so they're only playing for pride. So there's every chance that Newcastle, in theory, should be able to go there and turn them over. Um, and then we've sort of said, haven't we, that, you know, is it going to come down to that last game in the season against Fulham? Well, we, we've theorised that actually the way Newcastle have been playing, that it may be done and dusted by then. But, you know, this result now just puts it, puts that back in the in the works again, doesn't it? That we might just have this last day of the season playoff between Newcastle and Fulham as to who stays in the league. Yeah, I hope so. I, I would like to see like another, almost like a title um sort of challenge but down by the relegation zone um because last year we had quite a good one yeah we did it i mean it did go down to the last day with with obviously bournemouth losing out uh, with with villa getting a draw at west ham so uh let's just talk spurs very briefly then it's another disappointing result which means they did miss out on the chance to go into the top four um would you say i mean there's been a lot of talk about their inability to see games out do, do you think it's becoming a concern i mean they've they've dropped now 15 points for winning positions this season yeah, I mean... It's not ideal, is it? No, I, f- I feel like the problem with Spurs almost sort of don't want to go 1-0 up because, for me, their tactic is to protect a 1-0 lead. So as soon as they go 1-0 up, they sort of shut up shop. Mm. I, I, I feel like with, with Spurs, there is an element of, um, as you say, this... this Mourinho is trying to play this defensive football, as you say, but he's doing it with quite an attacking team. Um, he's got you know if you look at his starting lineup against Newcastle for example so we've already spoken about the back four he's then got Giovanni uh, Lo Celso who's quite an attacking midfielder uh, and Dombele who's a bit of a box to box you've got then Hoiberg as well but then you've got Mora uh, you had Vinicius you had Harry Kane um, and there's been other times where you've had a front three or you know maybe you take Lo Celso out of that maybe put Son in there or something like that but one of the criticisms has been that he's playing defensive football with a very attacking side. So if you do that, these attacking players are not going to be as well drilled or as well focused when it comes to doing the defending. Um, so is is that potentially one thing that they need to stop stop doing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think you're right. I think they've got so much attacking talent, but at the other end of the pitch, it's probably their weaker um, sort of half. And I don't really rate Larice. Nothing in this game was his fault in particular, but I don't feel like he's as good as he once was. No, and they've let 11 points slip now after conceding goals in the final 10 minutes of games as well, which is the most of of any Premier League side this season. And also, uh, they also topped the list for the most games failed to win when leading at half-time. They've been in front of half-times. Why he didn't play Gareth Bale. Like, why he didn't start. So it was a, a, a patch where it was Kane, Son... Um, Mora and Vinicius Bale. Oh, yeah, yeah, so in the in, pre, in previous games, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he seems to obviously Son was on the bench and came on, but um, I don't know why Gareth Bale sat there and he's not yeah, playing when know. he's actually done every time he's played, he's done pretty well. Maybe it just finished a round, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it, yeah, he started Son, Bale, and Lamella all on the bench. All three of those have been in reasonably good form. Um, so it did surprise me when I saw the starting lineup that he decided to start Vinicius up front with Harry Kane. Um, so yeah, it's Gareth Bale got all of about two minutes at the end. He came on in the 88th minute. His first touch was a free kick, which I think is still rising. Um, and Lacelso. Just trying to look. So Vinicius, yeah, Vinicius came off at half time for for Son. Uh, Limella then came on for Mora, but on about the hour mark, and then Bale in the last two minutes. So, yeah, it's it's an odd lineup when you've got players like Son and Bale on the bench. It does make you wonder why was this another statement from Mourinho for something, or was was this resting players coming back of international duty? Potentially, yeah, um, or maybe he just thought he had enough quality out there to beat Newcastle and rest them for the next game. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about some of some of Spurs' failings here, and how much of this falls on Mourinho? Because predictably, after the game, his conference was all about the players and their inability to hold on to the lead in what he called moments of instability. Nothing about him, as always. In fact, he was he was actually asked about his side's inability to hold on to leads, um, as it has Mourinho teams of the past have always been pretty good at that, uh, holding on to leads and seeing games out. And he again just blamed the players. He just said, "Same manager, different players." Um, <laughs> I just think if you're you know if, if you're in that group of players, like. Do you think they're mature enough to sort of hold their hands up and say, do you know what, he's right? Or do you think they're just going to get, like, fuck off criticising us all the time. Take some blame yourself for a change. I don't know. I feel like someone like Harry Kane would would sort of agree and would take the criticism on board. But I feel like someone potentially like Deli Ali would go the opposite way, mm. sort of like Pogba did at United. I think it depends on the, the ego. Yeah, it's... Um... It's weird, isn't it? Because Deli Ali just—he's had such a weird season with Mourinho. It's almost like there's always one player with Mourinho that has these kind of weird seasons. He seems to be in the squad again, but he obviously didn't get on at the weekend. Um, I just feel like how was how a talent as good as Deli Ali a few seasons ago? How has it come to this point where he's now literally not playing for Spurs, not playing football at all? Mm. So I don't get it. I, don't, I really don't. But anyway, performance-wise, it, I mean, it wasn't the worst from Spurs. Two goals from Kane again, which uh, if I read the stat right about Harry Kane, it now takes him second only to Lewandowski in terms of goal contributions, or goals and assists in all of Europe. Um, it's 16, 16 assists and 29 goals in all competitions, which is, is quite astonishing. And and talk about, uh, talk about him moving clubs is surfacing again, um, probably because of what's happened with uh, the news of Aguero leaving at the end of the season for City. Do you see a situation where he leaves Tottenham in the summer? I just can't see anyone being able to afford him. But if he did go to City, that would be bloody beautiful. <laughs> Imagine watching City play with Harry Kane up front. Oh, but I just don't You're saying that as a Spurs fan, you should be yeah. dead against that. No, I don't. I mean, yeah. I don't really care. I'd rather just watch good football and imagine him at City. That would be unreal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I did read somewhere that uh, Daniel Levy has put a very, very large price tag on him, as you know, you would yeah. do. Um, I believe that he's got a very long contract. I think it runs until 2024, 25 maybe. Um, and he's, you know, he's on like 200 grand a week. Not that the wages are going to be a problem for, for City. Um but yeah, it is going to take an astronomical bid for them to prize Harry Kane away. So it might come down to whether Harry Kane himself asks to leave and think, whether he pushes that himself. I think that's what it would have to come down to. I think he would literally have to sort of hand in a transfer request for it to sort of go through. Do you think he'd want to leave? 
Has just, there been anything from him? I don't know. It's a tough one. I just can't see him winning anything. At, you know, if he wants to be winning like the Champions League and the Premier League, he's not going to do it at Spurs. No. Yeah. Well, it depends. <laughs> at the same time, you know, if he wants to become a Spurs legend and break the Spurs scoring records, etc., then obviously he'll have to stay at Spurs. So it depends what he wants out of his career. Yeah, exactly. It, it does boil down to that. I mean, he's, according to a quick Google I've just done, he's going to be, so in 2024, 2025 will be when he's a free agent. He'll be 30 by that point. Um, so you would argue that as a striker, he's, he's coming to the end of his prime years. Um, so are Spurs likely to win a trophy within the next four seasons? You would say right now, probably not. Um, bear, bearing in mind, obviously, they are in a, Carlin Cup final or not Carlin Cup final. That's very old school of me. The Carabao Cup final, I should say. Um, so, yeah, as you say, Dan, it definitely comes down to what he wants. And I would kind of respect him if he turned around and said, you know what, I'm not interested in trophies. I, I, want, to be a, I want to be remembered at Spurs as being a legend. I want to go down. I want to break all the records I can for, for the club that I love, the club that I've grown up with. Um, I think you have to kind of respect that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, you know, he's scoring goals and... It's good for England either way. So as a neutral, it's it would be great news either way. He's going to score goals no matter where he goes, isn't he? Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just whether he he can deal with the fact that the entire world's media are going to be constantly looking back on his career as you know the greatest player to never win a trophy or something like that. But uh, anyway, big uh, big game next for Spurs home to Manchester United. How do you think that one's going to go? Uh, well, it went very well last time. <laughs> Not for United, it didn't. Uh, Hopefully it goes like that again. Well, the way we played <laughs> against Brighton, I'm not too overly confident, but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, um, maybe we'll have a um, maybe we'll do like a another kick about Derby video for that one or something like that. Oh, if we can organise something. Anyway, right. Let's move on. Let's talk uh, Aston Villa against Fulham. Now, this was so close to being a massive, massive victory for Fulham. Three goals in the last ten minutes in a game that Aston Villa really did not look like they were going to win. Um, it was a, a really odd game because it, there wasn't a huge amount of quality in this game. Uh, I did, I managed to watch a reasonable portion of this game and Mitrovic being back in the starting lineup, um, five goals in three games for Serbia in the international break and brought that form back a little bit. He looked a little bit like the old Mitrovic again, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, he didn't really start at all, did he? He was, I think he was their top scorer in the championship and he, he couldn't even get a look in when they came back to the Premier League. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if there were if there were uh, too many fantasy league managers who didn't um, take a, a gamble on Mitrovic at the start of the season because the last time Fulham were in the Premier League when he was there, he was basically their only goal scorer and I think he got like 10 or 15 goals. Mm. So I think everyone would have looked at Mitrovic coming back in the Premier League. Again, all the all the attributes he's been here before put him in and I think this is only his second goal this season, I think. Mm. So yeah, for all, the, for all the criticism we were throwing at Joe Linton earlier, <laughs> Mitrovic hasn't been much better. Yeah. Um, even if it was a bit of a gift of a goal from a, a fairly uncharacteristic mistake from uh, Tyrone Mings. Um, but yeah, Fulham looked in total control. I mean, you know, we've we've been talking quite positively about them over the last uh, few games. They're actually undefeated in about the last eight games away from home, I believe. Not not picking up many wins, but uh, they, you know, they weren't losing. And they looked on course for it. This would have been such a big three points for them. This really would have um, applied the pressure to Newcastle because they would have gone above them. I felt sorry for Parker, actually, because every goal that Villa scored, I sort of saw the life get sucked out of him. <laughs> it's like part of his soul was leaving yeah, his body. Uh, I felt so sorry for him, because I do actually 
I do like Fulham and sort of watching them, I almost cheer them on every week because I do feel they deserve to stay up. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's there's almost like a um they're the nice boys of the Premier League, yeah. aren't they? You know, yeah. everybody likes Scott Parker. He's a really nice guy. He always comes across really well in his conferences, um, always backs himself and backs his players. Um, which is stark contrast to the guy we've just been talking about. But after the game, he was actually asked about, you know, because of the nature of the way they've lost the game when they were in such total control, and then Villa just blitzed them in, in 10 minutes after a couple of substitutions. Uh, and he was asked, you know, how are you going to lift your players? He, you know, how difficult is it going to be? And his response was just so brilliant. He just went, no, it'd be easy. He, he literally dusted it off. He was like, no, it'd be perfectly easy. This is just a bump in the road. We've, this is not the first bump in the road we've had. We've always picked ourselves up. We've always fought back. We'll just learn. We'll work on it in the training pitch and we'll come back stronger next week. And I thought, Do you know what? If, if I'm a chairman of that football club, that is exactly the sort of man I want in charge. Somebody who speaks like that to the media, nothing but positivity. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if they do sort of, unfortunate avoid um staying up i think they're definitely um they should definitely keep him for next season because i think he would get them back up again yeah and I, I'm, as far as i know uh he is very well liked at fulham um and it's it's easy to see why um so let's just quickly talk um villa for a second before we talk about fulham's remaining fixtures um they continue to miss jack Grealish, and that, that there was rumors that he there was a chance that he was going to be back in the squad this weekend, but apparently he suffered a setback in training um, on, I think it was over the weekend, actually, it might be the day before. Uh, no news currently on how bad that is, but Villa didn't have a shot on target in the first half of this game for the fourth home game in a row. Um, now, obviously from a create, from a creativity standpoint, it's, it's left a huge hole in this Aston Villa team. Um, now, I just, going back to the England point, is this injury to Grealish? And there's been a lot of talk about whether Grealish might miss out. How 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 big a player for England do you think Grealish is going to be? We all know he's huge for Aston Villa, but what about England? Do we think is he a necessity in that starting eleven? Um, definitely in the squad. I don't know. I think I think he would start, but I think the thing with Grealish is his versatility. You can play him almost anywhere over the sort of the front line. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I agree. I, I don't know. I mean, Gareth Southgate seems to think he knows what his starting lineup is going to be. I'm not massive. I'm not entirely convinced of that. I still think that he's got a lot of decisions that he's still got to make. I'm I'm fairly certain that he doesn't know who's going to play on the right wing, for example. Um, I'm fairly certain that the left wing is he's going to pick Sterling. I think. I don't think that he's going to choose Rashford. I don't think he's going to choose Grealish out on that left. I think he's going to go with Sterling. Yeah, and I, I don't really like it when managers say, you know, that they've got their their starting lineup in their head already, like four months before the actual competition. I'd rather if he kept every player on their toes and every player believing that they could still get in the squad. Yeah, and and you know when he when he picks a squad like that so close to the Euros, you're thinking to yourself, I know this must be a squad made up of players that he you know he's definitely wanting to take. So then you look at people like Trent Ar- Trent Alexander-Arnold who didn't get in the squad. Um, and then he played obviously for everyone at the weekend and uh, maybe sent a message. But yeah, going back to Grealish and, and Villa, um, sorry, I de- deviated off there a little bit. But is, is there is there downturn in form, the, you know, the, the lack of goals? It, do, do Villa have a bigger problem? Do they have a bigger re- reliance on Grealish than they should? Yeah, um, unfortunately, you can't just rely on one player. Well, we saw it with Crystal Palace, the amount of games um, that they were losing while Zahar was injured. 
And it's pretty much exactly the same thing with Villa. I think Villa do have a better squad, um, but they they brought in players like Barkley, I think, to try and help fill that hole when Grealish isn't about, but he's just not performed for them at all. Mm. Yeah, I, I just wonder, you know, if Grealish, depending on how big a setback this is, if he does come back and if he's ready to go, he's had a little bit of a break, maybe he comes back a bit, a bit refreshed. You know, that it's it's crazy to say, but they've got a game in hand. I'm not actually sure who that's um who that's who that's to play. But if they were to win that, it takes them to within two points of Liverpool, Spurs, and West Ham who are currently playing Wolves. Um, and I don't I don't know the score of that at the moment, but let's just assume that we were to lose, they'd be two uh, two points away from all of them. Um it's still a chance for Villa, you know, for, for a European push. It's not out of the question. Yeah, no, they can still... I think, Like I've said all season, I think the main thing for them was avoiding relegation. So anything above that, you know, they're, they're, they're laughing, really. So I think it's just almost getting to the end of the season and then picking a new objective. I, mm, I can't no. imagine that... I know, obviously, they will be having one eye on Europe, but I can't imagine they'll be too disappointed if they don't get it. No, I think I, I don't think that would be a, a healthy uh, attitude to, to take, as you say, yeah. after having such a, a close run thing last last season with uh, with relegation. Uh, just touching on Fulham, uh, finally. So let's look at their remaining fixtures. So the next is Wolves at home. Uh, Wolves are, I mean, again, not knowing what the score is West Ham right now. They're in a bit of. I wouldn't say disarray, but obviously they've missed Jimenez massively this season. They've, they've fallen down the league a little bit. Um, that's a that's a game that Fulham should really target. Yeah, I'm surprised at Wolves actually. I know they have lost Jimenez, which has um, a mass been a massive sort of thing for them. But I thought without Europe this year, they would really. Um, I thought they'd even maybe sort of go towards Champions League because they've been knocking on the door um, the last couple of seasons, but they've really dropped off this season. Yeah, they have. Uh, then they've got Arsenal at home. Uh, sorry, Arsenal away, Chelsea away. You know, two games where, you know, up until the week, this weekend with Chelsea result against West Brom, you would have said that Chelsea is nailed on three points for Chelsea. But, you know, who knows? Um, Arsenal, who knows? Burnley at home, a huge game for that one for Fulham. Huge game. If they can get a win there, potentially plunges Burnley into trouble, but also catapults Fulham right near the edge. Yeah, I think Wolves, Burnley and Southampton, they should really be aiming to win those games. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, as you say, Southampton away the following after that, then they finish with Manchester United away and then that that big match that we've spoken about with Newcastle at home. So you compare the two runs between Newcastle and Fulham, and this is assuming, by the way, that it is going to come down to Newcastle and Fulham, that you know that teams like Brighton and Burnley aren't going to get uh, pulled back into this. If it is going to be between Newcastle and Fulham, you would say that Fulham have by far the, the easier run in. Mm, yeah, definitely. So yeah, fingers fingers crossed. I don't, you know, I don't wish relegation on any team, but um, I would, I would like to see Fulham to stay up. Um, but uh, you know, the football gods will decide. But hopefully, we'll see Parker back in the Premier League if uh, if they do go down. Uh, right, let's move on. Let's talk Southampton Burnley. The last one we'll talk about before the break. Uh, cracking game this one at St Mary's. Southampton coming back from two goals down to win three two. Um, we'll start with uh, we'll start with just a quick bit on Burnley. So Burnley, as things stand, are probably just far enough away that they're not too concerned um, about relegation. They're seven points away from Fulham at the moment, but a win here. If they'd hang on, if they'd hung on to that two 0 lead, that probably would have been enough to say we're safe now. That would have been ten points. Yeah, um, I actually said to Fran before this game, um, 
that there was no chance I was watching it because it would be the most boring game of the week. Yeah, literally, he was like, oh, <laughs> who, who would watch that game? I was yeah. like, oh, you can watch that. You've got time then. Oh, who would watch that? The first game of the day, that. Yeah, I was very wrong. um yeah i mean it's uh they burnley played okay i mean it felt to me that was quite a typical burnley display which was very much epitomized by that second goal where wood got that sort of quite easy flick on from a long ball and then mateo vidra came through and scored um i wonder where burnley's ambitions kind of sit though do you think they're just are they just happy to just be in the premier league is that is that where their ambitions kind of start and end it feels like it they don't they don't really push the boat out with transfers, do they? I don't really have a record. Like, I don't ever think, oh, Burnley have signed such and such. I almost forget that, <laughs> not to sound bad, but I almost forget that they're there a lot of the time. You just, every now and again, you see someone's playing them. Yeah, and I mean, I know they've, I'm trying to think, was it Burnley that had some investors come in? I think they have had some investment come into the club. So it'll be interesting to see whether they are able to to exercise a little bit more financial muscle in the summer. but. It does. I just wonder, you know, what Burnley fans feel, you know, under Sean Dice, they're extremely unlikely to ever get relegated, regardless of how close they get like this season. Um, I think we're all in agreement that Burnley are not going to go down this season, but I just, I just feel like Burnley fans would want more, you know, just show a bit of ambition, you know, or at the, excuse me, at the very least, really go after a cup run, maybe. Yeah, and um, I mean, Sean Dyche has been linked with the Crystal Palace job at the end of the season, so be interested to see. Do you think that's a step up? Uh, for who? <laughs> well, for, well, for both. Um, so that's a tricky one. Um, it, it probably is. Put you on the spot. But is it? It's a very, it's a very small step. I feel like um, Palace are probably player for player. Palace have probably got a better squad, player for player. But it's very, very close. I think Palace have got a better attacking lineup, um, but Burnley are better defensively. Um, so, if I was Sean Dyche, would I would I want that move? I don't think I would. Um, if I if I'm Sean Dyche, he's got a very good thing going at Burnley. He's he's liked, he's respected. Um, I would be inclined to suggest that he waits for a, a slightly bigger step forward unless yeah. Palace are, are going to give him, you know, like a war chest of like a hundred million to go and spend on players. But I don't see that happening either. The problem is that Burnley has got all the players he sort of wants tactically. Whereas if he goes to Palace, he's got to try and work with what he's got type thing. Yeah. And he's going to obviously going to have to, you know, train the players to play his way. They've been playing under Roy Hodgson for a number of years. Um, yeah, I I don't think it will happen. I think it, I think it would be, a, I think it's a very risky move for both parties, frankly. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, in terms of Burnley's running, they've got Newcastle at home next, as we've talked about. That's going to be that's a huge game, as we've said. Uh, then they've then got Manchester United away, Wolves away, West Ham at home, Fulham away, Leeds at home, Liverpool at home, and Sheffield United away. So uh, we were talking about Fulham's running being easier than Newcastle's, but you would say that Burnley's run is probably more favourable than both of those. Yeah, I, I don't think Burnley have too much worry about the relegation zone, to be honest. They're, they, they'll find the points. Yeah, I, I, dare, dare I say it, I think, I think it might just be one more win. I think one more win might do it. Um, 
because that would effectively take it to 10 points. And that would mean that the other teams have got to win three games and maybe draw one, depending on goal difference to catch up with them. And I don't see Fulham and Newcastle picking up that many points between now and the end of the season. No, I don't think they will. So uh, let's just touch on Southampton quickly because we've, um, you know, they, they've had a, a, an interesting season. First of all, I just wanted to ask, do you think that Danny Ings will be at Southampton next year, next season? Um, He's had a very good season. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he obviously he went to Liverpool and it didn't work out. So I'm, I but don't... In, in fairness to him, he barely got an opportunity because he had a really serious knee injury, didn't he? And by the time he yeah. came back, they'd already moved on and replaced him. I just don't know which club I could see in that type of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because you know in my notes actually as well I've said that you know he did show a lot of class in this game. He he played a lovely little reverse ball for Armstrong for his goal, and then he took his goal really really well. Lovely calm and composed finish. Uh, but just what you touched on there, Dan. Outside of West Ham, who every the whole fucking world knows that we're after about fifteen strikers in the summer. Um, I don't see which other of those top clubs, and I use top in very much inverted brackets with West Ham being included in that just because of our current position in the league. Um, but yeah, where which club would want him that's a step up enough in quality to justify that move? Um, he's going to have to go into a team and potentially compete with you know a striker. If you look at somewhere, Leicester, could he, could he go to Leicester and replace Vardy? That's probably the only yeah. way I can see. Yeah, Leicester's a good shout. I mean, I was thinking... I was going to say he's almost like a sort of Everton-type player, but they've got Calvert-Lewin, and I, I can't see him getting ahead of Calvert-Lewin. But, yeah, Everton's a good shout, um, although Ian Atchow's obviously been playing quite well in recent weeks. Um, I don't see him as like a, a top-four player. Uh, Do you think that boat has sailed for him? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a bit harsh. I don't know. I just don't, I don't see any top-four club wanting to take a gamble on him. Yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from. There was there was um, a very brief rumor flying around about Danny Ings to Man City, but I feel like that may have been an April Fool's joke. Because um, as as much as I think Danny Ings is a great player, I don't think he's uh, he's likely to be in Man City's uh, on on their radar. How old, you know how old he is? He is, I believe, he's about twenty seven. Hold the line, caller. Let me uh, let me do a quick Google here. Uh, he's twenty eight. Okay, so he's he's in his prime now. Then really. Yeah, and he has obviously had one or two niggling injuries this season and last, but thankfully not too many. Um, and actually, if you if you look at his his overall stats for for Southampton, I mean they're pretty damn good. I mean he scored forty three goals in ninety three games for Southampton. Um, you know that's one almost every two games. And you know how many teams have got strikers with that level of firepower up front who can who can say they've got a striker who's scoring one in every two games? Well, no, exactly. How much do you reckon? Southampton would want for him like well here's the interesting thing so according to uh, the website that I'm on uh, he is contracted until uh, June next year so he's only got a year to run oh okay so that would make him uh, so he's 29 in July so he'll be pushing 30 by the time that contract runs out um, if he can keep fit and keep firing, I suspect a club would definitely take him take him on a risk as a free transfer because there's, there's obviously a lot less risk there. Um, but because of that, he might be available this summer at a slightly cut down price just because of that contract. If he if he decides he's not going to sign another contract, um, that might bring his price down. Yeah, um, I mean maybe maybe someone like Wolves. That's a good, yeah, Wolves are a desperate need of a striker, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so yeah it'd be interesting to see um 
I could see I him moving. I think it just depends who's got the money and how much Southampton would try and get for him. Yeah, uh, and it'd be a big loss to Southampton. They'll be, they would do uh, very well to replace him if he was to leave. Um, just and then just touching on Southampton just quickly before the break. I don't think we ever really considered Southampton as as relegation candidates uh, this season. But is it actually surprised me when I looked at the table before this game? They were equal on points with Burnley. They were only on 33 points. They were only seven points above the drop zone before this game. So this was actually quite a big victory for Southampton. There's, they're a really strange team, Southampton. I mean, right at the start of the season, they were sort of up there in the Champions League places. And then obviously they've had like a 9-0 loss last season, 9-0 loss this season. And then they went on like a, was it an eight-game eight losing streak or something like that. And you just never know what you're going to get with Southampton. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 all the more surprising when you look back at the start of the season. So I did a bit of digging, uh, to, you know, because I remember at the start of the season we were waxing lyrical about Southampton and how well Hassan Hootel had done. Um, they were fourth in the table after thirteen games. They'd just drawn one all with Arsenal, um, and now twenty nine games in, uh, fifteen games since that point, um, three wins since then and that's that's quite a significant fall you know managers have been sacked for less yeah and i i definitely think he's got the quality at southampton to do a lot better than that yeah do you think southampton be given where they were after 13 14 games do you think they'll be quite disappointed how this season's gone yeah definitely i think southampton have sort of had the season that west ham had last season where they were expecting bigger things and ended up almost fighting relegation yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we'll be obviously. I think they're well and truly safe now. Not that I ever actually think they were in in that much danger. It was just quite interesting to see how close they ended up getting to the relegation zone yeah. um, during this bad run. So, um, they will want to pull away a little bit and just at least end the season on a high. Right, let's go to a break. Then, when we come back, we are going to bring our guest on for this week, um, and we're going to talk about the Chelsea West Brom game, and then get into uh, football with Fran, where hopefully Dan is going to. Um, Start trying to earn some points for, for us, otherwise it's going to get quite embarrassing for us. See you in a minute. Everybody, and welcome back to the show. So we have good news for you all. Uh, we hired some private investigators. We managed to locate a West Brom fan. Um, <laughs> um i can promise you however we had actually planned tom for last week um but obviously because baby turned up and we didn't record last week but i mean what what a coincidental piece of timing that we delay it a week and then this this result happens at the weekend so welcome to the show tom and what a week for you to be here i know right thanks for having me on Uh, (laughs) i still i still can't really get over the weekend result well, well, I mean, West Brom obviously fighting for their lives. We do often see these kind of results where um, where teams fighting for their lives might pull up at the odd surprise result, but usually it's a one nil or a two one. Yeah, not a, not a five two. <laughs> but yeah, it just sums up like me being a West Brom fan. Even when we were four two up, I was like, oh, this could still this could still be a five four <laughs> Chelsea win because like <laughs> the amount of West Brom games I've been to where they've been 2-0 up at half time and lost 3-2 is insane so yeah i mean, I mean yeah. when when obviously you saw uh, chelsea go 1-0 in front uh, i presume you were fearing the worst at that point yeah i thought it was going to be 4 or 5 nil to be perfectly honest but uh pleasantly surprised like yeah don't think we'll <laughs> stay up but it's better to I mean, go down the, swinging. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when the red card happens, uh, I mean, Dan, I don't know what what did you think on the red card? I know Joe on uh, Joe Morton thinks that both yellow cards were quite harsh. I must admit, I only saw the second one, um, and I have to say, I'm not so sure. I agree with Joe on the second one. What, what did you think? Yeah, I, I don't think you can disagree with the decision. To be honest, the first yellow card, he's just taken one for the team. Um, so no, you know, fair enough to him there. But this, the second one. I don't think you can argue with it. He's sort of, I know I see what he's tried to do and it almost looks like he's slipped, but he's not got any part of the ball and he's yeah. taken him out. So it's a yellow card. I mean, it's a bit like that. I'm trying to think who it was. There was a, a, a lot of controversy not long ago. I think it was, was it in the Arsenal Spurs game about um, a tackle? Yeah, it was. It was Sanchez, wasn't it? Where he came in to try and block a shot and ended up taking uh, Lacazette out, wasn't it? And I kind of feel like it was the same here. I don't believe that Thiago was actually trying to take out uh, the, whoever it was that was shooting. But, you know, if you jump at somebody like that and lunge at them, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah you can't you can, you can't argue it to be honest even if you slip if you take someone out it's still a foul yeah no absolutely but i mean i guess even after that red card i mean this was on about like, 29 minutes or around that mark i don't think anybody could have ever predicted what would happen after that i mean absolutely extraordinary how west brom they really put chelsea to the sword tom i mean yeah. there's no question there's no question that chelsea weren't at weren't at the races you know even though they'd gone down to 10 men you you would expect chelsea with the quality they have to still put up a much better fight than they did but when you when you watch that, Tom, do you feel as a, as a fan that like where the where the hell has this team been all season? You were so clinical. Yeah, I I don't. I think it was just more. I feel like we sat back quite a lot of the season, especially since Allardyce has come in. And I feel like I can't remember what minute it was, but he he was going to bring Ivanovic on, but he didn't, and he brought on uh, Robinson, and I feel like that's where it kind of turned a bit. And it was it's annoying because Pereira was playing so good last season in the championship. I know it's like a step up, but I feel like that was the kind of glimpses of what he was like last season. So, yeah, I couldn't really yeah. believe it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, Matthias Pereira and Callum Robinson have were obviously the two standouts in this game. And I feel like maybe along with Sam Johnston, they've probably been your standout players this season, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I don't know if other West Brom fans will agree with me, but I think Gallagher, who's on loan from Chelsea, I think, I feel like he's been pretty good in the centre. And then Townsend comes through with a few good performances. I feel mm-hmm. like West Brom's problem this season, I think we've had quite a lot of red cards. I know a few games I've watched, uh, the Everton game earlier in the season, I think it was two all at one point. And then um, Gibbs got sent off. And that's been kind yeah. of the case quite a lot of the season. Like, And it's normally just like silly mistakes, kind of getting, going down to 10 men and then having to like do the classic Sam Allardyce, like park up the gravy train, <laughs> sit at the back. And then, yeah... I mean, I'm just happy because like West Brom don't normally score more than like one or two goals a game, and to get five, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, West Brom up to this stage had only scored twenty goals all season, so you've added twenty five percent of your goal tally in one afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I saw as well. Like Callum Robinson is, hasn't scored a Premier League goal against any other team than Chelsea. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you drew three all early in the season, didn't you? And, and it yeah. was a cracking game earlier on in the season. So um, I think I saw a stat that uh, from Chelsea's point of view, I think this is the the most goals they've conceded against the same team in a single season because obviously now conceded eight goals against West oh, Brom yeah. all season. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good feeling because I think, uh, was it since Tuchel's come in, they've been so solid at the back. I think they, have they only conceded like two in the last however many uh, games I believe so they hadn't conceded at home I know that yeah so it's unreal really I think 
I, I read before the game as well, like Thiago Silva was only meant to get like a run out for a bit of match fitness. <laughs> and then he ends up like getting a red card and throwing a spanner in the works. But I feel yeah, it's... yeah, I feel like a lot of people will say Chelsea did play bad, but I feel like West Brom really turned up that day. One of the goals that West Brom scored was like watching Barcelona. Yeah, it was like the volley, the Callum yeah, Robinson and volley. The, yeah. And I can't remember which, but one of them, uh, I think it was, is it Diango or however you say his name? Yeah. Sort of West Brom passed it sort of doing one-twos all the way through the Chelsea team, and then Dianga just passed it into the back of the net. Yeah, that was a good goal. <laughs> he, he's been he's been pretty good since we got him from, it was like Galatasaray or something like that, some Turkish side. But uh, I know in his first game, he had like two disallowed goals because of VAR. So, I mean, if we get to keep him when we go down, because I, I do suspect we'll go down, I feel like he'll be pretty good in the championship. So, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> It's it's quite an incredible incredible day all, all together. I mean, um, before we, we we dive deeper into your current affairs, I want to go back a little bit further in in, in the current season. Um, the uh, Slaven Bilic obviously got the job last season. He got you up at the first attempt. Yeah. Um, now, as a West Ham fan, obviously I've you know we've had experience with Slaven Bilic. He did a, a really good job with us, giving us that last season at Upton Park. I mean, granted, Dimitri Payet carried the team that season, <laughs> but it, you know he, he gave us such a great send off for for that season. Um, and he always struck me as a manager who the players absolutely love. They'll run through walls for him. Uh, he works hard. He loves what he does, but perhaps just just lacking a bit tactically. Um, would you would you agree with that? Would you say that maybe he just didn't quite have the tactical now to succeed at the top level? Yeah, I, I I feel like he was dealt a bit not the best card when we did come up. Like uh, he wasn't given a like a really big budget. But I feel like the problem was is that he just wouldn't change the system when it clearly wasn't working. Like he'd yeah. always try to play the two deep holding midfielders that I don't think they had enough quality to play that sort of style in the Premier League. And it was, I think the first five, six games of the season, they looked just a class below every yeah. other team. So yeah. I feel I feel bad because he did a real good job bringing us up and had made, did make some like stellar signings. But yeah, it just wasn't to be really. I don't have, I don't have any like a, like a classic thing of like ill feelings towards not like when we had Pardew and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. I, I feel like he'll bounce back from it regardless I mean as you say it wasn't a great start of the season but by the time he got sacked there were just signs of improvement I mean the players were working hard and you, you ended up the day after or the, or the game after he was sacked was the was the man's excuse me, the Man City game at the Etihad where I think you got a draw yeah um, and then he gets the boot and in comes Big Sam yeah I feel like it must have been pre-planned, surely. He must have knew he was going to be getting getting uh, kicked out. I wasn't like that happy about Big Sam, though, but I thought, well, he hasn't been relegated, has he? I feel like he has a stellar record for that. He's like a survival manager, but I don't think uh... it was a, long, a long-term thing. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't. Aside from Bolton, I don't think Sam Allardyce has spent more than a couple of years at any club. I think he was actually, to be fair, I think West Ham was he at th- maybe three seasons at West Ham. Um, you guys hated but, him there, though, didn't you? Uh, do you know what? It was, it was interesting because obviously he got us up at the first attempt. Um, so no, uh, no qualms there. He did bring in some good players. He managed to convince Kevin Nolan to come and play in the championship, and he made a big difference. Um, 
And then we got up into, I can't remember which season it was, whether it was the first season in, in the Premier League or the second season, but we had a freaking unbelievable first six months where we were right near the Champions League spaces and we were playing this really attacking brand of football and everyone was like, who the fuck is this guy? What have, <laughs> and what have, you, what have you done with the real Sam Allardyce? No one could believe what was going on. And then he reverted to type and we had the most boring, bland end to the season. We fell down the league and we ended up coming like 11th or something like that. Um and I just don't understand why he changed like that. And it, it seems like he's stuck with that same mentality ever since. At every club he's been to, it's it's been a stay strong at the back, try and nick a goal, and we we build that way. And yeah, now as a West Brom fan, what do you have with respect? Do you have do you have the players to do that? No, I don't think so. Because uh, I mean, Bartley, I've never been a fan of him. <laughs> like at centre back, he's just he just looks like he's a mistake away. And the same with Kieran Gibbs. I know some West Brom fans really rate Kieran Gibbs, but he's just he's yeah, a bit dodgy, to be perfectly honest. I feel like we had uh potential with um Hans Nathan Ferguson who went to Palace in the end. Yeah. I feel like he would have been a good a good um sort of youngster to come through, but obviously was getting sort of chased by bigger teams. I like Ajayi. I think he's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like next season we might struggle to keep someone like Johnston and Goal, who has he's really surprised me this season. Like he's been, I know he's he's like faced the most shots because obviously we are far down the table, but I think he's been real good. But yeah, and obviously he's been called up to the England squads as well, so he's you know he's he's received um, the plaudits and rightfully so. As you say, Johnston might move on. Do you think one or two others might move on if you were to go down? People like Pereira. Yeah, I've I've read a thing the other day. I don't know how true it is because obviously like you can read anything on the internet. But apparently he's got a uh, eighteen or nineteen million uh, sell clause if we get relegated. Who so, Pereira does? Yeah, it's so, like so it's not even very high, and I feel like he'd do a pretty good job at a lower mid table sort of team. So I, okay. I mean, I can I can see him going to be honest, but I feel like quite a lot of the bulk of the squad will stay. I don't think any of them have had massively standout seasons to get snapped up it's not like when Hull went down and you knew like Maguire and Robertson were going to get taken yeah I feel like it's that sort of scenario for West Brom uh one other player I wanted to touch on quickly as well again coming from me as a West Ham fan um Grady Diangana um now there was there was a, a bit of fuss made by West Ham fans when this transfer happened back in the summer um we saw him as a very young talent, um, a player that has come through our academy. He showed a lot of promise in pre-season as well. He was creating goals and it really exciting. So when it transpired that we sold him for what we perceived as a fairly average amount of money for a young English talent, um, we were we were really upset about it. But I guess in hindsight, looking at West Brom's season, I mean, I don't know if he's, he's injured at the moment, but I don't really see him playing a great deal at all. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't really kicked off this season. I, he was he was amazing in the championship, and I, I feel like he was there a season before or half a season before um, when we had Harvey Barnes in for a bit. But yeah, was it twenty mil? Was that the the sale it was, price? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was either it was somewhere between fifteen and twenty. I think maybe about sixteen. I think. Yeah, memory, that, is, but... that does seem quite cheap, like really cheap. Because I know Pereira was around the same money, but. Yeah, I feel like that was probably a good move in the long run by West Ham. Like, I don't think he'd get into your starting squad. Well, I mean, yeah, hindsight is a wonder, Captain Hindsight and all that. I mean, you know, you look at the season West Ham are currently having, um, you know, we've obviously brought in players to to replace him in that position. So 
I, you know, I don't think you'll find a West Ham fan that will be too upset about it now, um, yeah. given despite how they were at the time. Um, now, you've mentioned a couple of times that you don't feel like you're, you've got much of a chance of, um, uh, of staying up. Your yeah. run is horrible. Um, <laughs> if you look at the, uh, the fixtures that you've got, I mean, you've got Southampton next, you've then got Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Liverpool, um, West Ham, and then Leeds. It's not, it's not great, but it's not awful. Um, but you are eight points from safety. It's a tall order. Do you think there's any chance that West, Ham, uh, sorry, West Brom might survive? Uh, I'll give it like 10% chance. It will be similar to the classic, I can't remember what season it was, it must have been early 2000s, the Great Escape season where it came down to the last day. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like Portsmouth went down in the end or something. But um, I think we'll get close. I think it will be uh, neck and neck between like uh, Fulham, Newcastle, maybe West Brom like one or two points behind. Because I feel like after the Chelsea game, I'm feeling confident for the next few weeks. And yeah. I feel, think the guys have shown that they can play a bit more aggressively and there's no point just sitting back when they're already eight points behind. You kind of got to step it up a bit. But, yeah, absolutely. And if, if you are, you know, to get anything from this season, um, you know, it's effectively, it's not in your hands right now. You need Fulham and Newcastle to drop points. Um, yeah. So, but when that happens, you have to be in a position to take advantage of that. So your next game against Southampton, they obviously got a big win at the weekend, but they have shown a reasonable amount of weakness over the last 15 games, as we talked about in the first half of the show. Um, so that's definitely a game that you can target. And, you know, if you if you win that game and if Fulham and Newcastle, I think they're... Um, I think Newcastle are playing Burnley. I'm trying to think back to the fixtures we were talking about. I think Fulham have got Wolves. If they were to lose those games, all of a sudden it's five points, and five points sounds an awful lot better than eight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like Southampton is definitely, definitely a winnable game. I mean, they they've been a bit, bit shaky at the back since the um, was it nine 0 they lost. So it's a big, <laughs> yeah. big loss. Yeah, and but the, the, like Danny Ings does scare me up front. He's clinical. Again, he was really good at the weekend. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm it's, not sure. uh, it's been interesting. And so, I mean, worst case scenario, then if you do get relegated, there's been some noise. I don't know whether you've seen this about Sam Allardyce demanding lots of money to stay. I don't know whether he's talking about money for himself or whether he's talking about uh, potential money to bring in transfers or maybe even both. Yeah. Um, if you were to go down, do you th- is he the man that you would want to try and bring you back up, or would you want to see somebody else come in? I'm not so sure because. He hasn't had many seasons in the championship, has he? I mean, he brought you guys up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't know if going down and playing that style of football will work in that league because I mean, there's so many games across the, like the entire season. I'd, I would like to see someone with a bit more flair, a bit more, a bit more like a, a bit more of a tactical flair come in. Yeah, I'll give Allardyce his dues. When we, when he came in and we played in the championship, it didn't. He didn't strike me as playing um, part of the gravy train, as you said, football. But <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I wonder if that's down to the fact that we we did manage to maintain a good squad and we brought some good players in. So player for player, we had a better team than most other teams in the championship anyway. So we ended up seeing more of the ball. So it almost naturally became a not park the bus type approach because we just saw so much of the ball anyway. Yeah. Um, now, if you're able to keep some of your better players, you might find you're in the same position where even if Allardyce does set you up a bit more defensively, you end up seeing so much of the ball that naturally you end up playing a bit more of an attacking brand of football anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, that would be good. It's just uh, the championship is just such a horrible league to try and get out of. There's so yeah. many good teams in there now. Like 10 years ago, you'd have, you kind of know what the sort of top six would be. But now it's like anyone's game. Like Barnsley are playing really good this season and they nearly went down last season. Yeah. So it's just it's a crazy league. It's hard. It's, it's Before- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so before I um, before I ask Dan if he's got anything you wanted to, to touch on, a uh, million-dollar question from me that I've seen uh, dance around and we talked about it on the show before. Uh, as a fan of a club who has spent some time both in the Champions Chamber and in the Premier League over the last sort of 10 years, what as a fan do you prefer? Do you prefer seeing West Brom win most weeks in the Championship or do you, see them, do you prefer seeing them in the Premier League with the big dogs but potentially losing most week and fighting relegation? I think I like the, like the rush of the, like the Premier League seasons more like like you said up there with the pick teams uh okay yeah definitely that so we had some really good seasons in the premier league i think we had one really good season with hodgson and i was just i just want to experience that again you know <laughs> not yeah, be no, not absolutely. be in a relegation dogfight from week two you know so yeah definitely premier league love it <laughs> all right uh dan or Fran, do you have anything you wanted to uh shout out um no, you nicked my question right at the end there. So <laughs> it uh, kicked Tom's ass in the quiz whenever he's ready. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, let's do it. <laughs> right. Well, b- before we do that, um, let's just turn our attention to the listener segment quickly. So we asked this week um, what people's opinions were of whether or not Allardyce has got enough with this West Brom team to keep them up. So, uh, Fran, if you're ready, what did uh, what have people been saying about that question this week? So Pete said, honestly, no. They have been outclassed all season, which is why they are where they are. The table never lies. And, and ultimately, what ifs don't keep you up in the Premier League? Oh, Pete, to the Some point there, hun. Brutal honesty from Pete there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Shearer said, God, I hope not. For the first time in a while, watching the Newcastle game yesterday, I had some sort of hope if we get Callum Wilson backfiring. But anything is possible with that cabbage at the helm. and then uh joe said no uh, and then he said we were pants so he's talking about chelsea chelsea were pants plus having an extra man for over an hour after a pretty harsh red card helped a hell of a lot um we messaged back to joe saying you feel it was a harsh second yellow or, or the fir- or was the first one harsh? And he said both. The first was literally so early in the match and didn't need a card, and the second wasn't a yellow. And the ref clearly couldn't wait to get a red out because any normal <laughs> ref isn't giving a second yellow there. But fair play to West Brom; they can they can only beat what's in front of them, and they deserve to beat ten men. Joe, that was <laughs> level-headed of you at the end there. <laughs> It was. I feel like it was a double-edged sword, though. It was one of those ones where it was a backhanded compliment yeah, yeah. after what he said at the first bit. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, I, I I hear the argument about it's too early to give a yellow card. Now, I, I, know, I know what you're saying because, generally speaking, that's the, the, the said thing in football that players do tend to get away with things early on in the game, so I can see where he's coming from, but it shouldn't be a thing. Like, if you've broken the rules and it's worthy of a yellow card, it shouldn't matter if it's the first minute or the 90th. Yeah, I agree. 100% with that. Excellent. Right. Okay. Well, uh, before we get into the quiz, we have this to do. Damn the stat, man. I completely forgot about this, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Tom, you can join in on this one as well. Um, 
got two questions this time. The first one is only one player has scored more Premier League own goals than Phil Jagielka. Can you tell me who it is? This isn't the quiz, Tom, by the way. This isn't the quiz. (laughs) (laughs) Can I have a guess? Yeah, 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 go for it. Uh, McCauley. Is it Gareth McCauley, West Ham defender? No, good shout, but it's not. (sighs) Is it Richard Dunn? It is Richard Dunn. Yeah. Nice. I'm not playing in the quiz this week. (laughs) (laughs) The second question, also involving Jagielka, poor guy. He's the second oldest outfield player at 38 years old and 229 days to score an own goal in the Premier League. But who is the oldest player to score an own goal in the Premier League? 38. It's got to be a goalkeeper. It's got to be some kind of shit iron goal from a goalkeeper. I did say outfield player, but you can... <laughs> oh, okay. Perhaps it is a good thing I'm not doing the quiz this week. <laughs> um, who's playing in the Premier League beyond that age? My God. Um, Milner? I don't know how old he is right now. I don't think Milner's how... 38 yet. Is he, is he not 38 yet? How old? He's got to be getting 38, isn't he? <laughs> don't know, I'm just spitballing. Uh, I have no idea. Tom and... Any guesses? Uh, I'll go. I'll go two guesses. So one, Gareth Barry. That's just because I know he's an old player in Premier League, mm-hmm. and like someone from the someone from long ago, like Teddy Sheringham or something. Oh, not bad guess. It was Stuart Pearce. Oh Stuart no way! That Pierce. was gonna. I know people say this, but that was definitely my first choice because <laughs> he's is he is it the really famous own goal where he heads it from like edge of his box in it was against Man United in two thousand and one. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, he scored some cracking own goals. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So it's time for Dan to try and earn back some um, some reputation points for the show as we head into Football with Fran. this week catchphrase every time i forget about that beautiful beautiful music how can you how can you forget about that that's just it's the best tune in all of podcast history (laughs) it makes me so happy happy. right welcome back to another 10th episode of football with ran (sighs) right uh dan are you ready yeah i'm good tom ready oh yeah i'm ready beautiful I love how psyched you both are. This makes me so happy. <laughs> what are you going to do, gladiators then? <laughs> oh, I should get that guy so he can go, you will go on my first whistle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when we're all back together, Chris, make that happen. Um, right. The first player is Carlos Tevez. Oh, okay. He has played for seven clubs. So, Tom, as you're the guest, out. Uh, so, how many clubs do you think you can name? I'm going to go play it safe and go with four. Okay. I can do five. Tom, can Whoa. you go higher than five? I'll guess six. Oh, I love it! Okay. This is this is this is the tension we love on this show. <laughs> Dan, oh, I'm going to let him out for six. <laughs> <laughs> right, go on then, Tom. So we got both United City and yeah. Manchester United. 
Boca Juniors. Yep. West Ham. Yeah. I want to say Juventus, but I'm probably wrong. No, you're right. You're right. And it's some other smaller team. Uh, I'm going to guess River Plate. No. Oh, oh so close. That so, was the five I had. I wouldn't have had the six. So close, Tom. Oh. Yeah, like Corinthians. Yeah. Um, and what's the other one? Oh, Shanghai, Shanghai Shenhua. Ooh. Oh, I forgot he went to China. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, went to China, did absolutely nothing for 16 <laughs> games and picked up about 500k a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolute, mercenary. absolute mercenary. Right, so, Dan, you're in the lead. Lovely. Come on, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next player is Kieran Dyer. Kieran Dyer, oh, God. He has paid for five clubs. So, Dan, how many do you think you can name? Uh... Two, I think. Two, okay. Tom? I'm going to go three. Tom, your confidence is making me... <laughs> I think it's a very, a very attacking attitude. This is very not Sam Allardyce, this. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, I don't think I can name four, so I'll let Tom do his three. Right, go on then, Han. QPR, West Ham, Newcastle. Yes, very good. Love it. Okay. Hey, that's from the sticker books, the Panini sticker book. I remember <laughs> getting <laughs> And the others would be Middlesbrough and Ipswich. Yeah, I'd never have got them. Right, one all. Wow. Tom, I feel so proud of you. <laughs> you know I should be rooting for Dan. Yeah. Can I just, before you move on, Frank, can I just say the reason I put Kieran Dyer in, because uh, I saw something come out the other day that I don't know how many years ago it was, something like 15 years ago, it was the anniversary of when Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowie had a scrap on the pitch for Newcastle. <laughs> oh, I love that. I remember watching match of the day for that. Oh, Dual, brilliant. Two red cards, just, wasn't it? Just while the game was going on. It wasn't even like the ball was out of play. They were just having a little scrap while the game was going on. You didn't pass to him or something? Uh, I, don't, I think it was like a build-up of stuff going on over, over the game. Um, but I just the, the best thing about the whole thing is that, you know, any manager would be fuming at that. But the last manager that you want to be in charge of your team when you fight one of your own teammates is Graham Souness. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Anyway, sorry, go on, carry on, Fred. Uh the next player is Craig Bellamy. Oh, Played for ten clubs. <laughs> so uh Tom, how many think how many do you think you can name? Four. Four? Mm-hmm. He's played for ten. Yeah. Dan's only got two down yeah, so I far. Yeah, we're in two so, so far. <laughs> He said that very confidently as well. <laughs> I don't think I can do five. Uh, I don't think you can do three I at the moment. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, go for it, yeah. Okay. Right, Newcastle, Man City, Liverpool, Cardiff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dom, smash. Oh, yeah. And um, then he was manager of Cardiff for a bit. I think. Yeah, so the teams are Norwich, Coventry, Newcastle, Celtic, Blackburn Rovers, Liverpool, West Ham, Man City, uh, Cardiff, and Liverpool. I've already said Liverpool, yeah. but yeah. Wow. Wow, well, there we go, 2 1. Started strong. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Dan. Uh, next there, everyone's favourite, James Milner. <sighs> Played for Ooh. six clubs. Daniel, how many can you Come name? on, Dan. Uh, four. 
Tom? Uh, I think four as well. Oh, I've got to write them down real quick. Okay. Right. Oh, the... what? Tom's on this. <laughs> Come on. Okay, yeah, I think I've got it. Right, go on then. I hope I may have this up. Right. Villa. Yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. City. Yeah. Leeds. Smashed it. Well Get done. Get in. We're going nice. to a decider. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Chris, I genuinely thought you were going to be like, we're going to Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well done. Um, for reference, the other team was Swindon. Yeah, never already got that. Newcastle, did you name them? I didn't know he played for Newcastle. No, I didn't know that. There you go. Uh, and the last player is Peter Crouch. Oh, God. Played oh, legend. 11 clubs. I've got to get my pen out for this one. I have not got the pen out for any others. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else it's because he's got a football manager out, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, um, right, Tom, how many do you think you can name? <coughs> I've got a, five at the moment. How beautiful. <laughs> you got five? Yeah. Dan? Um, yeah, I've got five at the moment. One, two, three, four, five. And how many has he played for? Eleven. Has he? Uh, Any? I will add that one, but I don't think it's right. I'll say six. Yeah, I'll go six as well then. Okay. Uh, if Tom said six, then he's the guest, so Tom gets to go. Tom oh, gets... I get to go. Okay. So oh, hang to... on. Well, where's this rule come from? Dan's on the brink here. You've got, <laughs> got to guess seven. You can't guess the same amount. Yeah, but Tom. Oh. Tom I guess six. And oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. All no. right. Okay, I'll guess seven then. Oh, all right, Tom. Bloody hell. <laughs> Tom, go for his seven. Tom, Tom you name him, hun. Right, Portsmouth, yeah. Liverpool, Spurs, Villa, Stoke. These are the two I think I've got wrong. Norwich and Southampton. Ah, no, you got them right. Well done. No yeah. way. Oh. <gasps> Tom. Oh my God. Oh my god, we're never gonna win again, are we, Dad? <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel bad about winning. I would never have got eight, to be honest. So, um, yeah, it was Tottenham, Dulwich Dol Hamlet. Right. Dulwich Hamlet, that is a football manager team and a half. <laughs> IFK Hasselholm. Okay. Uh, That's yeah. Sweden. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like Sweden. QPR, uh, Pompey, Villa, Norwich, Southampton, Liverpool. Uh, Stoke and Burnley. Burnley. Tom, well done. Thanks. Well played, sir. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, very well done. Right, well, despite um, best efforts, that means it's now 5-1 to the guests, Dan. This seemed like a really good <laughs> idea when we, when we uh, brainstormed this. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, it's uh, Tom, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you on, uh, talking all things West Brom. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been, been a great time. Loved it. So, yep, yeah, we will be back uh, next week uh, with our usual show. We are hoping to have a Crystal Palace fan on next week um, to talk all things all things Palace and what they expect to see next season with uh, potentially Roy, Hodg Roy Hodgson uh, leaving the club if he doesn't get his contract renewed. So we'll see how that pans out. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.